Let's pray before we get started. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together to study your word, to learn from the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would apply these things that we learned today to our lives. Help us to be people of peace. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. First Chronicles 22.9 says, But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon, and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. Now, Solomon was a man of peace after the bloody time of King David. Uh, David was a great man of God and did the Lord's will in putting down the enemies of the people. Uh, of God, such as the Philistines. Since David was obedient to God and repented when he sinned, that's that's a big <laughs> that's a big caveat there. Very important that he repented when he sinned. Because of that, God promised David that his son Solomon would have peace and rest from all the enemies of Israel. Now Solomon, we know from history, was probably the richest man uh, maybe who ever lived. He was the wisest, and because he was obedient to the Lord in asking not for riches, but for wisdom to govern the people of Israel righteous, righteously, the Lord granted him a peaceful kingdom. Uh, we know from this that if you ask the Lord for wisdom, he will give it to you. He's happy to give it to you. If you don't understand the word, if you don't understand what's going on in the world, etc., ask the Lord for wisdom and he will teach you. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. Well, because of the peace of Solomon, Israel became the greatest kingdom on earth during that time. Kings and queens from all over the world came to see Solomon and get his advice and counsel. Solomon's writings were inspired by God, writings such as Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes. Proverbs is probably the most valuable book of virtues and precepts for moral living. I often tell people, don't use psychology. Go to Proverbs. It's got all the answers right there, and they're from, from the Lord. You know, when we walk in peace, God will bless us with wisdom. Many blessings come from peace. Of course, you know, we know that sadly Solomon sinned in his later years, and God took away the peace of the reign of Solomon during the short reign of his son Rehoboam. So if we do not live in peace, God can also take his blessings of peace away. As Christians, we are to be equipped to spread the gospel of peace. Ephesians 6, 13 through 18. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, I think we're there, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted 
with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. I'm pretty sure that you guys are praying for one another, aren't you? I know I am. I pray for you guys all the time. Uh, according to the Bible, we are also to be subject to authorities in society and in the church, with our highest authority being the word of the Lord. We should always endeavor to live peaceably and be considerate to all people. Well, really? Titus 3, 1 through 2 says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility towards all men. Wow. That's quite a recipe, isn't it? Unfortunately, very few people are living that way these days. Now, you, you may remember how it is important to show love and joy in our lives as Christians, not only for ourselves, but because it's part of our witness. And it may result in a harvest of believers in Jesus Christ. But you know what? Being peace-loving can have the same effect. James 3, 17 through 18. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Being a peacemaker, however, doesn't mean that we stop discerning and try to be in unity with those who do not believe or are teaching false teaching. We're called to separate ourselves from unbelievers and false believers. But you know what? We still reach out to them in love and peace. We don't curse them, but rather we pray for them. We try to pull them from the fire. You'll recognize that from Jude 23. Snatch others from the fire and save them. The others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. We're called to be in perfect unity with those who are true believers. The unity of the spirit and the unity of the faith, which is the unity in doctrine, what we believe. And we're to be a witness to those who are not through peace, not through strife and conflict. Unfortunately, today you look on the internet, you look on YouTube, and there are a lot of people who call themselves apologetics ministries or discerning people, but they're being very sarcastic. They're saying things that are mean-spirited to people. That's not how we are to conduct ourselves as believers at all. 
We are to do so through peace. Jesus Christ continues to strive through his spirit to, to reach those who have never believed or who have turned away. You know what? We can do no less. That's our job as believers. Our job is reconciliation, not proving our point. There's a time and a place to prove our point, but it needs to be God's point. When you witness to somebody, don't make it about your opinion. Make it about what the word of the Lord says. Then if they have an argument, they have to take it up with the Lord, not you. Your opinion doesn't really matter. It's what the Lord says that matters. Well, I want to tell you a few stories of more modern peacemakers and, uh, you know, make some illustrations. This first one says the Fort Worth Star-Telegram reported that firefighters in Genoa, Texas, were accused of deliberately setting more than 40 destructive fires. When caught, they stated, we had nothing to do. We just wanted to get the red lights flashing and and the bells clanging. <laughs> Ooh. Actually, my daughter told me that the fires, a number of the fires that got started around Clear Lake, California, were started by one fireman who was basically a pyromaniac, and he, he joined the fire department so he could set fires. <laughs> well, guess what? The job of firefighters is to put out fires, not start them, unless you're starting a backfire or something. But the the goal is to, to uh, protect against fire. The job of Christians, then, is to help resolve conflict, Matthew 5, 9, and not start more of it. That's not our job. We're not to be going around starting fires. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. That's what we should be as peacemakers, as much as we can. Because through peace, you can win a lot of people. Here's an example. In the 1930s on a northern Canadian prairie at the height of the Great Depression, the Jansen family was sharecropping, but they had lost their farm. A friend told them of a, fire, a farm across from Jude Brewster. Few lasted there because Jude was so mean. But Mr. Jansen said, I'll just kill him. They moved to the new farm. One week later, Brewster appeared at their door in a rage. Their chickens were bothering him, and he threatened to kill them. The family locked them up in the hen house. Well, there was peace for a time, then he showed up again. Jansen, your pigs have been in my garden. They'll never get in my garden again. There in Brewster's rag wagon was their herd of young pigs, all dead. He shot each one of them. Without saying a word, Mr. Jansen buried the pigs. A few weeks later, one of Jansen's boys came rushing into the house. Daddy, go get a gun quick. Judd Brewster's pigs are in our garden. The kids could hardly 
uh, could already taste revenge. The father replied, we won't need a gun. Round up the pigs. After a lot of trouble getting them into the wagon, they headed over to Brewster's farm. Good evening, Mr. Brewster. Your pigs have been in my garden. I've brought them back. The color drained from Brewster's face. My, my, my pigs in your garden? That's right. Where do you want us to put them? Brewster's body sagged against the door and he said, just dump them over behind the barn. Jansen replied with a slight grin, okay, but they'll just get out again. When it had sunk in that Jansen had not killed the pigs, Brewster went over and shook Jansen's hand. They talked for a long time. Brewster gave him half the pigs to keep, and on Sunday, he came to church. From that point on, he was a changed man. Later, one of his boys asked him what he meant when he said he would kill Brewster when they moved in by him. Jansen replied, not with a gun. I plan to do it another way, by heaping coals on his head. That old mean neighbor is as dead as a doornail, just like I'd said he'd be, and we're glad to be alive to see it. Romans 12, 20 says, on the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. You know, we live in a violent time today. We were told that the end times would be as in the days of Noah. And one of the big problems was widespread violence. We're seeing that today again, and it's spreading, and it's getting worse. That's what happens with violence and revenge. But most people respond to kindness and peace, particularly if they, they've been fighting you or have been mean to you. Peace against enemies is probably the best witness you could have. That's the way we ought to treat situations like the one that Mr. Brewster caused. There's a famous missionary story called the Pineapple Story. Maybe some of you have heard it or read it. I'll just quote you a little bit of it. It's actually a book written by a missionary. The story deals with anger and peacemaking. A missionary and his family asked for a man to plant a garden of pineapples for him. The missionary was going to pay the planter with goods and services. The pineapples took three years to ripen. It takes a long time for uh, pineapples to ripen, usually at least a year and a half. Before they ripened, the pineapples were all stolen. The missionary got angry. He finally found out that the planter was the one who stole the pineapples. He was still angry. The missionary tried to punish the planter several times, but this only made the missionary and his message unpopular. Eventually, the missionary asked God what he should do. Through his word, the missionary was reminded to yield the fruit to God. The missionary decided to do that, but the pineapples still got stolen. 
But this time, the missionary didn't get angry. The planter noticed the lack of anger and asked why the missionary didn't get angry anymore. The missionary then had an opportunity to witness to the planter. The planter then realized that he was really stealing the pineapples from the Lord. <laughs> so he stopped stealing them. In the end, they all shared the ripened pineapples. You know, there's more to that story, but the moral is that we need to give everything we have to God. Sometimes to keep the peace, we must give up our rights. Being a peacemaker sometimes mean, means we have to give up our rights in order that the truths of the gospel can come through to people. That's a hard thing for Americans to do is give up their rights. But guess what? Sometimes we have to do that in order to spread the gospel of peace. There's a story that I didn't know. It's called The Last of the Gladiators. Telemachus was a monk who lived in the fourth century, and he felt God saying to him, go to Rome. He was in a cloistered monastery, and he put his possessions in a sack and set out for Rome. When he arrived in the city, people were thronging in the streets. He asked why all the excitement and was told that this was the day that the gladiators would be fighting and killing each other in the Colosseum, the day of the games, the circus. He thought to himself, four centuries after Christ and they're still killing each other for enjoyment? He ran to the Colosseum and heard the gladiators saying, hail to Caesar, we die for Caesar. And he thought, this isn't right. He jumped over the railing and went into the middle of the field, got between two gladiators and held up his hands and said, in the name of Christ, forbear. The crowd protested and began to shout, run him through, run him through. The gladiator came over and hit him in the stomach with the back of his sword. It sent him sprawling in the sand. He got up and ran back again and said, in the name of, the, of Christ, forbear. The crowd continued to chant, run him through. One gladiator came over and plunged his sword through the little monk's stomach and he fell in the sand, which began to turn crimson with his blood. One last time he gasped out, in the name of Christ, forbear. A hush came over the crowd in the Colosseum, 80,000 strong. Soon a man stood and left, and then another and more, and within minutes, all 80,000 had emptied out of the arena. It was the last known gladiatorial contest in the history of Rome. You know, sometimes the Lord may even call us to be peacemakers at the cost of our own lives. There may be persecution coming where Christians will be put into prison, uh, persecuted, tortured, and killed. But remember always how powerful the witness of Paul and Silas was when they were in prison. Acts 16, 22 through 34, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. 
After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Wow. What a story, huh? Sometimes uh, us going through difficult circumstances for the Lord is something that the Lord can really use.